everyone, I'm Kate Bullen Casanova and welcome to the Future Feminist Podcast. This is a space for conversation with parents, teachers, friends and extended families in all their diversities. This week I am thrilled to be joined by Dana Sukow. Dana is an award-winning speaker and educator helping parents, teachers and caregivers access the tools to raise body-confident kids. I spoke with her about her transition away from a very successful fashion blog into her current work, how to handle comments from family members, why we shouldn't be measuring children's BMI, and so much more. It takes a village to raise a feminist child. So welcome to the village, friends. Enjoy. Hi, Dana. Thanks for joining me here on Future Feminists. Hi. Uh, And I just thought maybe if some of the listeners who haven't come across you before, if you just might want to introduce yourself and a bit about what you do. Absolutely. So first of all, thank you for having me. Um, And uh, just as a little disclaimer, uh, I am battling a severe cold. So I apologize if I'm a little sniffly while we're talking, um, but I am really excited to be speaking speaking with you. Um, So about about me, I, uh, let's see, I am an eating disorder survivor. Um, I live in New York. I have been recovered for about 10 years now. And, uh, I've been, my, my story started really, you know, on social media, I started because I wanted to be a fashion blogger and about seven years ago, I started fashion blogging, but I also secretly was battling bulimia and binge eating disorder. And over the years through my recovery, I started realizing that being a fashion blogger was really fueling my eating disorder. It was really triggering, triggering my poor body image because I was not only was I comparing myself to all of these fashion, these very famous fashion bloggers who were being flown around the world. I also was photoshopping myself. And so I was, you know, I was photoshopping my skin, my body. And what would happen is I would post these photos of, you know, a person who it wasn't even me. It was this unrealistic standard. And I would get people saying, oh, my God, you're so beautiful, ideal body. You're perfect. I want your life. And over the months and the years of hearing that over and over again, I started it started getting to the point where I thought I can't even be me because I've set up this unrealistic standard of what I'm supposed to look like. And so I really had to do some very deep digging and through my recovery, I started learning about feminism. I started learning about body positivity. I started learning about fat phobia and, you know, all of these different isms that we have in our culture and how they lead to marginalization, hate, um, you know, self-hate, this, this, this epidemic of self-hate that we're in right now. And I started realizing that fashion and beauty and all these things that I was chasing were not the direction I wanted to be going in. And so a couple years ago, I really transitioned out of that. And I started fully going into sharing about my eating disorder. I started throwing women's empowerment events, women's networking events, eating disorder recovery events. And I started hearing stories and I started speaking with people. And now, you know, now that we're like 10 years later, I really am in a space where I've, I've, I've looked at kind of my whole process and I go, where is, where can I really help people? Where can I really add value? And it's really been in my passion has, has really transitioned into protecting children. And so now my work is very focused into giving parents, teachers, caregivers, the tools to raise body confident kids, the tools to prevent eating disorders and, and to really help heal themselves and in turn help heal their children in the process. 
Wow. Thank yes. you. Sorry. I feel like no. you were asking for like a two cents and I was like, not no, at let, all. Let me, let me give you. Yeah. I, that was like long story. Uh, not very short. No, I love it. I mean, I think, you know, this is not a conversation that can be packaged so neatly. Yeah. It's so many different things that, that come with it. It's, um, you know, so many things to kind of pick apart, I guess. Yeah. And, you know, that might seem like a bit of an unconventional journey going from <laughs> the fashion blog to now your thriving, speaking, educating, coaching right. business. And how did you how did you sort of manage that um, message change within your yeah yeah self? I totally yeah. that's such a good question and I I completely hear you because it can be you're like well th these things seem completely opposite and so didn't you alienate all of your followers and your readers um, no what happened was the change happened very slowly. Um, you know, I, I grew up with cystic acne. I grew up terrified of being seen for my skin. And so even though I didn't develop my eating disorder until I was like 26, I still was very scared of being vulnerable um, throughout my life. And so when, you know, I started realizing that fashion was fueling my eating disorder and that that really wasn't a route I wanted to go down, even though it was kind of overnight, I thought I had an aha moment and I thought this isn't working for me. It was over the period of like a year that I slowly started sharing things with my followers, that I slowly started saying, you know, I don't feel good about my body today, or I binged on food today, or, you know, this is my skin, it's broken out. And it was these little things that I was vulnerable and I was open and I shared who I was. And the feedback I got was what kept me going. Because I, you know, I was doing it in this kind of fashion industry where nobody is vulnerable and everyone is fake. And yep. when I would be vulnerable, I would get, you know, I would get a comment and someone would say, oh my gosh, me too. Or, oh my gosh, I completely relate to this. I thought I was alone. And so it kind of did two things. Me sharing released the shame that I was holding onto, but it also kind of show, it shined a light for someone else who was looking in the dark. And it really created this, this connection that I, this better connection that I had with my followers and it kind of turned them into like friends and family and community. And so it was like little, it was baby steps because it was scary being vulnerable like that. But, you know, over the course of about a year, I really kind of came into my own and people really, you know, they, they came to understand that what I was talking about was, was, was more real and was, was bigger than anything, you know, clothing. Definitely. Yeah. Um, how did you, when you mentioned Photoshop um, and that you possibly, like you used to Photoshop images, mm -hmm. how did you go about kind of not Photoshopping anymore? It's such a, yeah. you know, and we've got apps like Facetune app. Mm. It's so easy for you to take mm. a, for somebody, even without knowledge of yeah. editing, to just take yeah. a photo and edit it and, people don't even recognize them in yes. themselves anymore. And, yes. you know, how did you sort of um, not wean yourself off, but sort of get yourself off those kind of apps and things, you know, that yeah. might be something else that people are trying to stop doing. Absolutely. That's actually a great question because um, I got certified in Photoshop. So, uh, oh, wow. I, so yeah, when I started blogging, because what, what would happen is I would get these photographers and then, you know, it would take them forever to edit the photos. And I, 
you know, part of me, I was so wrapped up in my eating disorder that I didn't even want the photographers to see my blemishes. You know, I just wanted them to give me the raw photos and then I was going to edit and pick and choose. And that would be that. Um, so I went and got certified in Photoshop and I took a weekend course. It was like, you know, I, I, it was like a 12, two 12 hour days. So I really learned kind of the ins and outs of how easy it was to manipulate bodies in Photoshop. Um, and so it, it became very easy for me to kind of see when things were Photoshopped. Um, yeah. But so, so, you know, uh, rewind, I, so I took Photoshop and I, when I slowly started coming out to my readers, I realized that, you know, once I started talking about my body image problems and saying, you know, I, yeah, the fashion industry's fake and all this, I couldn't still Photoshop my photos. And I, you know, at first I started just kind of picking ones that I felt I looked okay in. And then um, a couple years ago, I decided that I was going to release the photos that I had Photoshopped. And I, I, put a post on my blog and I called it photos. I wish I didn't Photoshop and I put it out and it was only supposed to be for my followers, you know, my fans, my friends, family. It was only supposed to be just a little thing where I'm just kind of sharing who I am. And it, it, it was so random because that post went viral. It went completely viral. It was an L it was in daily mail. It was in Vogue. It was everywhere. And you know, I, I think now if, if a fashion blogger was to do that, it wouldn't go viral. But at the time, you know, five years ago or four years ago, it was it was relatively a new thing. You know, I mean, this body positivity stuff and everything was it was kind of just hitting the um, the mainstream, you know, fashion blogging blogosphere. Um, and so I released that post. And it was once I released that saying that I had been photoshopping my photos and I wish I didn't. There was literally no going back. So I have. In the past four or five years, I have not manipulated any photos that I put out of myself anymore, um, unless it's just, you know, lighting to make them brighter or something. But uh, my body remains absolutely untouched. And that's a rule that I have for any photographers that I work with is that you cannot touch my body, my skin, my hair, uh, weight, anything. Wow. Do you know what? Actually, when you mentioned the title of that blog post, I was like, I saw that. I oh, heard did about you? that. Oh. And, and now I'm connecting the dots that That's it was you so that I'd heard funny. about. Oh, so, I love that. Yeah. And uh, I'm going to have to go back and find it again and be like, oh, I spoke to her. Um, <laughs> Just small um, world. Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, like you said, the body positive community on Instagram is definitely growing. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, it is still still feels like the minority those those yeah. yeah i i mean look you know we talk about diet culture but you know diet culture is the culture and so you know the people that are fighting back against it well you know i'm in the community online it feels like a lot of people in the grand scheme of things we're still so small and this is still all of these things of accepting your body as they are that the diet industry is flawed that diets don't work that you know where people are meant to be fat we're meant to be plus size and i mean all of these things these are just such new ideas and and while people have been fighting them for a very long time it has taken a long time for mainstream culture to even remotely grasp onto it and so we're still just kind of you know scratching at the surface definitely sometimes it feels like um you know we're in the matrix or something that we have seen that we have seen the real the problem behind yes. it and trying to convince yeah. people to see the issue with it yes um 
So you speak in schools mm-hmm. and um, I'm really intrigued by this um, fake, you know, these photos, they're fake and um, versus yeah. real. And I'm mm-hmm. wondering when you're having discussions with these kids, you know, if they can see, you know, I think about myself when I was a 13-year-old and I'm seeing these photos in the, of these yeah. women in these magazines and I'm going, but I'm seeing the photo. That's really what they look like. That's right. Them and I would have had no concept of editing a photo. Right. How how can you how how do you explain to these kids that you know yeah. yes that is them, but it's also not them. Yeah. No. Absolutely. And and I and I and it's hard. I, I'm gonna I'm just gonna say right right away. It's hard because look, you're you're literally social media. Like I'm just gonna talk about Instagram as the main mode of social media right now, but it's a highlight reel. And while people like me and other people, you know, body positive bloggers and and people like that, they're not showing their highlight reel all the time. You're still getting a highly curated um, feed. And especially for the for so many of these celebrities and and influencers that teens and young adults look up to, they, uh, their photos have been through not just Photoshop, but they've been through a marketing executive, a PR executive. I mean, the, those photos are to send a very specific message. And so the, my, my answer to you is kind of twofold. You know, the first part of my answer is really showing kids that social media is a highlight reel and that that is not real life. And that really, you know, you, you've got to get kids to get a wider exposure in media and as well as limiting their, their media, um, you know, their access to media. Uh, and so it, it's a responsibility. There's the responsibility of parents and also of kids. So kids need to know that this isn't real life. There's another responsibility that I like to, when I'm talking with parents or teachers, it's about limiting social media use. It's about making sure children are following diverse accounts and uh, real accounts and positive, you know, accounts for mental health. So there's, there's a lot to it and it's not just telling a child that well this isn't real um because there's a lot more work that has to go behind it because you can tell a child it's not real but if that's the only thing they're looking at 24 7 or you know six to eight hours a day their brain is going to process that that is what that's what's attained or you know that's what the goal is no matter what you tell them definitely so it's about providing not only not only saying that's not real, but it's right. also about saying, look, this is the things, let's look at these, yeah. let's look at these people. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, sometimes it can feel so overwhelming um, for parents. So I have a three-year-old and a two-year-old mm. and actually even just this morning, which was timely, but not nice, um, mm-hmm. I was putting on some lipstick and my three-year-old, she said to me, can you put some lipstick on me so that Mm. I'm beautiful? Mm -hmm. Mm. And I was like, oh my goodness. Mm -hmm. Like she, the people that she spends time with us and, you know, Mm -hmm. grandparents and things like that. And I'm just going, she's three. Where has she picked this up from? Right. Right. And, um, you know, when, I guess it kind of just made me think it's never too early to start having these conversations, but you know, is there a kind of, what's kind of youngest age that you kind of do workshops with? Yeah. So, you know, again, because my, my workshops are with parents, it's, it's all ages because I think what, you know, what you, you said something really key of it's never too 
early to have these conversations. But, you know, a two and a three-year-old, you can't really have these deep conversations. You can start introducing language and you can start, you know, asking questions and getting them to kind of think like, why is there only one body in this ad? But it's less about conversation and more about action and more about what life are you living that your child is seeing. And I think that, you know, so many times, um, so many times we think children aren't as smart as they are. And this is, this is not a blow to parents. This is not a blow to adults, but I think we look at small kids and go, there's no way that their brains are, are fully developed. There's no way that they're picking up on everything we're saying. And, I think we have to give kids a lot more credit than we do. I think we have to really view children as like sponges that are just absorbing everything around them. And they're picking up what you're saying and also what you're not saying. And they're picking up, you know, you can say, you know, I love my body. But if you're going to the gym and you're punishing yourself and you're not eating the same food as your family is and you're, you know, binging on food and they're seeing that it's they're getting conflicting messages. And so I, I completely hear you. It's like, it's never too, you know, early to have these conversations, but it's the work that I'm trying to do is it's not all about conversations. It's about really changing lifestyles and actions that children are going to pick up on. It's about, um, unlearning your own stuff at the same time, Mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. I mean, so in my, there's one of the workshops I do is, you know, how to raise body confident kids and prevent eating disorders. And literally my last point, my most important point is heal yourself, work on healing yourself. And that, I think that's the most important thing because children will pick up your body language. They'll pick up how you talk about your body yourself and others. And, and also I think, you know, if you can model that, that relationship of, you know, self-love or self-acceptance, children will see that because so many people that I've worked with, um, their memories are of their parents hating themselves. And that ends up being a reflection of, you know, how you're supposed to exist in the world as an adult. Oh, sorry. Are you there? Oh, I'm here. I'm here. Did oh, I, did I, I just... lose you? No, no, no. I think my computer just made a funny noise and I thought <gasps> I'd lost you then, but I heard, I heard, I definitely heard the end of that answer. Oh, okay. So Perfect. obviously I'll just edit out this, um, this intro <laughs> no, I think you should leave. I think you should leave this in of us just being, <laughs> are you there? No, are you there? I know it's technology. Um, it's not only humans that are infallible. It's, it's technology as well, obviously. Um, so I guess I also wanted to ask, um, so I think we've got some really good kind of some kind of tips there, mm-hmm. but um, obviously for more, you know, you've got a lot of resources on your website mm-hmm. and your courses and things like that um, for people to definitely go more to see more of your work in mm-hmm. longer form. Um, but in terms of some tips, so we've got some like, you know, looking at the media that your children are being exposed to mm-hmm. and thinking mm-hmm. about yourself and, um, you know, the, the actions and walking the walk as well as talking the talk. Mm-hmm. Um I think, you know, something that I was, I really wanted to make sure I asked you is how do you, um, how can I, how can I differentiate with my children comments that are meant to be negative and well-meaning comments? So, Hmm. you know, you've got that family member of an auntie who's like constantly telling the three-year-old girl how pretty she is and how Mm -hmm. that's such a lovely dress Mm -hmm. or how tall and slim you are. Right. 
then saying completely different messages to maybe a boy and telling a boy how yeah. strong and you know yeah. th- those are meant to be those are meant to be positive things right um, right right but right. you know it contributes to the negative the negative culture Absolutely. so how if she's being if my 3 year old's being made to feel good in that moment right you know, yeah right. how do you no, I, I, this, what a great question. And I, I, and I, it really does make sense to you because, you know, you also, I actually have memories of when I was a kid of getting a compliment and then a family member saying, oh, you know, how dare you say that? And I thought I was being complimented. And then you just get so confused as a child. So I think instead of using the child as kind of the battleground of, you know, now the child is getting your energy and another family member's conflicting energy. It's more about working with adult family members and setting up boundaries and saying, you know, pulling them aside, having family meetings, sending an email, um, you know, saying, look, I'm really focused on raising my daughter as X, Y, and Z. I'm focused on raising my son X, Y, and Z. And I need to ask that we all get on the same page. And so the following phrases, the following comments, the following, you know, whatever is not allowed around my child. And I think that that's a better way to go about it than, you know, every time your child visits the grandparents, they're going to get this. And then you're having to do damage control Um, because I think parents are, constantly doing damage control all the time and so if you can kind of mitigate some of the damage control you have to do and really kind of step in front of it and say you know what going forward these are the rules and these are the boundaries and I'm doing it because I'm protecting my child Um, but I also remind parents too that so many of those comments that are coming from grandma that are coming from the uncle that are coming from the babysitter they're coming from a place of love and it's, it's misdirected. It's confused. It's, you know, some a lot of times it's incorrect, but at the core of it, it's so many times it can be coming from a place of love. And so I really try to ask parents to really dig deep into that place of empathy and dig deep into that place when you used to do that and you used to say those things and you thought they were from a place of love and, and to really place ourselves back there, place ourselves into the shoes of the other person and say, how would I want to hear these directions? How would I want to hear this information? Because the the point is not to lash out and shut people down. The point is to educate. And I understand that it can be difficult and and frustrating and painful. And we don't always have the emotional energy and labor to to do that. But, But when we do, we're not only setting up healthy boundaries, but we might even be helping someone on their own path and their own journey to body positivity and self-love too. Definitely. I love that. Um, I think, you know, it's, um, so it's early February now and hopefully some of the New Year's resolutions are coming off your Instagram feed as a lot of mine have, thank goodness. (laughs) January was a very heavy time for that. Uh, Yeah, it's rough. Yeah, it's it's um, it's tiring. Mm-hmm. Um, is yeah, is the best word I can think of for it. But mm-hmm. um, you know, it's not only January. It's you know, it's going to be Northern Hemisphere summer coming up. Oh, and, that's uh, right. I know because yeah. you guys have warm weather. Oh, I'm so yeah. So it's um, here. It's Christmas when everybody's seeing their family, and it's very anxiety provoking anyway. But mm. then also with a 
pool as well so you can't yeah. hide under the Christmas jumper oh um, wow that's that's so interesting because I, you know that is that is another level that we don't think about in the states or you know over you know when where it's colder in the winter because you know we're we're dealing with body insecurities and and, and a bunch of food and family and stress but you know at the end of the day at least you're under a big sweater or you know yeah. no one <laughs> no one's pinching anything because you know you're you've got five layers on that's such an interesting aspect that I I thank you for you know bringing that to my attention yeah, I mean, I think um, it's just one of those, it's diet culture is always everywhere, all mm -hmm. the time, mm -hmm. but there are those heightened times of the year when Absolutely. people seem to get stressed about yeah. it. Yeah. Um, do, do you have any tips about how to manage those peak times of stress for children, noticing differences in the way parents are acting or things like that um yeah I, I mean you know really one of the one of the things that I really when I'm working with parents especially one-on-one -on -one when I'm doing coaching is really getting parents to a place where they are a safe person for their child to come to when their children are going through stress or frustrations or body insecurities um, because I think, you know, that's one of the most important things too, especially in eating disorder prevention is if you're the second your child is feeling something, if they come to you instead of going to someone else, instead of going online, instead of going to friends or, you know, other people who may not be giving them the right resources or the right responses, but it's really, you know, being that safe person. And that comes with vulnerability that comes with opening up to your child, you know, getting on their level. Like when your child comes to you and says, I really don't feel good about my legs. I wish I was thinner. I wish I was taller. I wish I was shorter. Hearing them, you know, first of all, hearing them, letting them just get everything out. And then, you know, you can use this as an opportunity to go, you know what? There's things about my body that I really struggled with too, especially when I was your age. And this is how I got over it. Or, you know what? I still struggle but I just want you to know that you're not alone. And so many times when somebody feels seen and heard, the problem is not so big. And so especially during these really stressful times when your child, especially when you, you know, so many times a kid will come to you and you just want to kind of shake them and go, just snap out of it. It's fine. But so many times to children, these things are huge. These things are life-changing. These things are can lead to trauma. And so if you can really say, like, I see you, I hear you, and you're not alone. And if you can start that as a regular practice, your child will feel safer to come to you in those times of need. And they won't feel alone. And you will be that safe person. And so it, it won't be such a big event when these things happen, because it'll just be a normal conversation and relationship that you have with your kid. Thank you. I love that. Um, I think, you know, coming at it from a parental point of view and being that safe person, it just, that's when you say it like that, it just totally makes sense um <laughs> you know but you know what though I will I will say it makes sense yes it makes sense when you say it but every parent I talk to every parent that I work with they want to be perfect and that's I, I I think that that's just you know we want to be we want to be perfect adults we nobody wants to mess up and especially for kids I mean parents you know they want their kids to see them as perfect I'm the perfect role model do as I do but I think when we teach kids that we are imperfect, that humans are imperfect beings, that you don't know everything, you know, I think that sets them up for 
being curious, for learning, for being able to make mistakes, for not knowing, for asking questions. And I think that we need to allow parents to be imperfect. We, you know, we need to be able to set it up that you're, you're going to make mistakes and that's okay. And maybe you're, you can use, you, you know, maybe you can have your kids see that as a learning opportunity with you. You know, you don't have to make those mistakes alone too. If we briefly pivot to teachers for a moment, I'd mm -hmm. I'm really fascinated to hear about your work with teachers. I think obviously parents kind of, um, you know, at the moment, the, the ages that my kids are, I'm spending, I'm the one spending the most time with them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, parents are the ones that are making the decisions about <laughs> raising children and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, as a teacher, um, perhaps um, like primary school, so I think that's elementary school in the US. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, as a teacher, and you get this group of 25, 30 students who are all so different with different families and mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Um, I'm really fascinated to hear about how you approach working with teachers and managing all those different families, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and, and teachers are different because there's only so much that a teacher can do. So it's not like parents. Um, there's there's a general thread of, you know, similar, just being that adult role model, being that safe person for children when they're having issues. Um, really, when I'm working with teachers and especially you know, PE teacher or physical education teachers, there's a lot of unlearning um, and understanding weight bias. Uh, that's that's really a, a very key part in the education I do when I'm helping teachers put together body positive lesson plans or I'm working with a group of teachers. It's really unlearning weight bias, learning how we talk about physical education um, because PE and exercise shouldn't be about changing bodies. It should not be about losing weight. It should not be about getting muscle. There, the, the only reason we should be exercising is because it feels good emotionally, mentally, physically, especially for kids. I mean, exercise is a way to create friendships. It's a way to learn um, uh, uh, problem solving. It's a way to learn direction and teamwork and team building. Um, it releases endorphins. It releases stress. I mean, there's so many reasons for exercise, but we have these schools that are literally framing exercise as a way to keep kids fit. And another thing about it is the BMI, um, the body mass index. And a lot of education I do is, is debunking the BMI and that the BMI we shouldn't be measuring children's BMI and, and talking about the stress that plus size children deal with on a daily basis with marginalization, with bullying and, and giving teachers the tools to step in and really protect children from bullying and really creating a space that is safe for all bodies um, and not treating, you know, children different because of how they look. And, you know, I think so many, so many, we all want to do that. At the end of the day, we all want to do that. We all want to not have these, these biases that, you know, society has taught us from day one. And it's just helping people be aware, giving them the tools, giving them the education and, 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 you know, teaching them where they can look further and, and how they can really help and break down all this stuff that, you know, is really keeping them from creating safe environments for all students. So when you say weight bias, sorry, does that mean that um, that, you know, that thin 
that thin equals healthy mm-hmm. and obviously the thinner that you are, the healthier that you are. Yes. Um, when, is that what that phrase means? I haven't heard Abs- that before. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's like, a, uh, you know, our, our, our implicit bias or, our, you know, our, our bias towards thin is better, thin is prettier, thin is healthier, thin, you know, the thinner you are, the more value you have um, and, you know, that you're attractive. Yeah, it just everything that society is telling us that thin equals it's it's breaking that down but again breaking it down but you need the education behind it to break it down so i can tell you that it's not right but you you are not going to learn why it's not right just from me telling you so it's really it's digging deep it's looking at media it's looking at marketing it's looking at all the stuff we're fed every day and really at the end of the day who's profiting off of those insecurities that are being created I guess it's also really important to note that like thin equals better for women. Mm -hmm. Um, And then for men, there's like this whole other set of rules that they have to abide by as bigger and muscles and um, what kind of, um, you know, what's the split of people that you generally work with? Is it generally mums or, you know, female teachers? Um, How's that working? I would say it's mostly moms, um, you know, and I, I think that it's, I, I, I do work with, I have a couple um, private coaching, you know, clients that I work with, and I have a couple people who are, you know, a set of parents that I'm working with, and both of them are, we're meeting once a week, and we're talking, and they're both on board. Um, it, it is mostly moms, and, you know, the, the hope is that that's going to change, and the, the hope is that you know, men and dads will also see just how much that this is hurting them and sons too. Um, but, you know, we've got, we've got a lot of work. I think that, I think because society has really marginalized women for so long and that the, this beauty ideal that men need to be hairless and have a six pack and all of that is really, it's, it's kind of becoming a new thing and it's becoming a new thing because, you can only make so much money off of women's bodies and, you know, and so we have to keep all these industries are going, where can we make money? And so obviously we're going to make money on men. So we've got men doing Botox and men doing lip injections and men doing all this stuff now. And, and so we really, we just have this epidemic of self-hate and insecurity. And I do think that men are waking up to it though. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's interesting that you note that, um, you know, I saw this really great quote that was, who is making money off me feeling crap about myself? Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. If yeah. If it's an influencer or a celebrity or something trying yes. to sell you a thin tea or a yep. whatever the, yes. the drinks are mm-hmm. um, and constantly asking who is profiting off this crappy Insecurity. emotion of yep. mine. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. 100%. And I, I think that that's even, you know, with, um, you know, teens, preteens, these are conversations that you can definitely start, start opening up and, and even, you know, discussing, we're discussing capitalism, we're discussing money, we're teaching, we're teaching kids really how society works. I I think that these conversations are so important. And just as like a self love, a body love mantra, that's such a great one to have of who is profiting off of this insecurity. Um, you know, just looking in the mirror and you go, oh, I wish my, you know, I didn't have these forehead wrinkles. Well, who's the maker of Botox that, you know, is, is pushing that message. So again, it's really, it's, it's kind of lifting back the curtain and, and taking our heads out of the sand. And, you know, it's, there's, 
it's a lot. It's a lot. And so I understand why some people don't, don't want to lift back the curtain because it can be painful. Seems to be there's a new trend for whatever the new good body part is that you have to buy um, every day practically, whether it's a yeah. big bum or, um, you know, no stretch marks or, yeah. you know, all these things and somebody's yeah. selling a cream or something Absolutely. for it. Absolutely. Um, which is why I really love your series that you did on your um, website. Well, it's linked in your on your website, and I'll link mm-hmm. it in the show notes oh, of my you. body of my body story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I would love if you just want to tell people a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, my body story is a series that I started. Um, I started it a couple years ago, and the reason I started it was because I felt that I was far enough along in my eating disorder recovery that I was really ready to kind of, you know, I created this platform, I created this space, I had these followers, and I was really ready to like share it with people and, you know, go, I'm, especially with the privilege that my body has of thin, why, you know, I do fit society's beauty standards. and, And my narrative is heard all the time. And it was, it was really this kind of thing where, where can I give people an opportunity to use this space and this platform and, and share their stories. Um, and so I started this series, just, I called it, you know, hashtag my body story. And it, it just, it, it, it blew up and it just became this beautiful, amazing space where the only prompt was if your body could tell a story, what would it tell? And I had the most beautiful, vulnerable stories that I got to share on my website and on my Instagram of people just being open. And I had so many people message me, you know, after they had shared and they said, thank you, because I haven't had a space to share these things before. And I really feel that it's been an integral part of my healing, you know, the process of my healing. And so, you know, there was that part of, you know, some people being able to release their shame and their story, but the other end of it was, other people being able to go to get out of their own experience and to have empathy and understanding for the experience of other people and other people who may not look like them, who may not have the same lifestyle as them, who, you know, may not be the same gender as them. And it was really, I think it's really important because I think that storytelling is such an important, such an important part of activism. Um, but I think storytelling is also such an important part of healing and growth and really the way we're going to move forward, I think, as a society. Um, and I think, yeah, that really that creating community around we're all here together yes. and this is something that we're all dealing with. Yes. Um, yeah. And, you know, on your Instagram, it seems like you've got such a big community and, um, you know, all those things that you were just saying about people um, saying, thank goodness. Thank yeah. goodness there is this space. Yeah. Um, and that's that's how I found you. I found you through Instagram, of course. Oh, yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I, I, appreciate, I appreciate that because I, um, I, I've worked so hard over the years to really, you know, make it a, you know, safe-ish space and, and, and really just, you know, give back and put that work out there and really make sure that people feel heard. You know, I try to answer all of my messages and comments and, um, you know, really just learn as a space, you know, I don't know everything and, and no one else knows everything. And I'm, I'm really hopeful that together in this space that we'll, we'll problem solve, we'll work together. We, we're all on the same, we're all on the same team. 
And that's what I love so much about social media. You know, I think it can be really harmful and toxic, but I think there's a flip side of it really can bring people together if it's used, if it's used in a loving, open way. Definitely. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. That's the reason why I um, wanted to start Future Feminists, which was yeah. getting parents and teachers talking together about how we can work together with kids. Yeah, um, I, I, yeah. I love it. and it's and it's so important too. And I really, I as I'm learning, as I you know, as I'm learning, as I'm talking to people, you know, we society we don't teach people these tools. We don't teach parents how to be vulnerable. We don't teach kids how to be vulnerable. We don't. We're not teaching people why they hate their bodies. I mean, nobody knows what to do. And so we're all kind of shooting in the dark. I think it's so beautiful that we're able to come together in these spaces and talk about it and say, hey, I've got this tip and someone else has got this tip. And, you know, I've learned so much from from other people who have shared things with me. And I'm blessed that I am now able to share that with with other people. I think it's it's. I, we've got to be able to communicate and, and also ask questions and say, I don't know. Yeah, definitely. And it's not, um, and it's not only about, um, weight bias. I really love the way that you also, um, have provided that space for people of color, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, stretch marks and acne and all those yeah. things that society has always told us. And it's not just necessarily about weight or, right. um, you know, maybe, that people have, um, you know, they've been born with some kind of disability and, exactly. you know, they, they never see that nobody ever sees themselves. And, right. um, yeah, no, it's really, I mean, I think, you know, uh, again, I think representation is so important and representation, you know, it's not just so that someone, you know, who doesn't see themselves represented can now see themselves represented. It's so that we are getting a realistic view of what society looks like because, over and over, we are just seeing thin, white, 16-year-old, blonde, tall, I mean, you know, toned, tan, perky boobs, washboard abs, you know, 36, 24, 36. I mean, the list goes on and on of what we're seeing, but that's what we're seeing over and over and over again. And it is warping our brains and it's warping the brains of children into what we're supposed to look like. And so that we have to have representation. It's it, this is that's something I tell parents and teachers too. Is you've got to make sure you've got diverse books. You've got to make sure you've got diverse media that kids are seeing because they need a, a they need an accurate portrayal of of what the world looks like. Definitely, and if you listeners um if i will link it in the show notes dana has a resources page on her website which has got absolutely lists and lists of (laughs) books which i am now going to be going to the library and requesting that they buy so thank you for that awesome awesome yeah i'm so i'm so glad yeah and i have them categorized by age so um i think that there is uh age maybe three to 11, 12 to 17, and then 18 and up. So, um, you know, I, I hope that, that a parent will find something in there that, that really resonates with them and their family. Um, and, you know, because we're here for community at Future Feminists, I wanted to ask, um, you know, who else is there on Instagram that you're really loving at the moment with their, with their messages? Oh gosh. I mean, so, 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 so many people. Um, I think that, um, 
you know, Body Posi Panda is one of my one of my favorites, and she she does a really good job of talking about diversity and really and and talking about diet culture, but in a loving way. She she really kind of has she welcomes people with open arms. It's it's not like a club where you have to know everything. Um, so she's she's doing a great job. Uh, who else do I really like right now? Um, Oh, you know what? There was another. Oh, More Love Org is absolutely wonderful. And she's doing similar things to what I'm doing. Uh, and I've actually learned a lot from her. Um, but talking about, again, giving parents the tools and the resources to, you know, really prevent eating disorders. Um, yeah, those are great. And then, I, again, I have like a, a list of Instagram accounts to follow on my on my website, too. Great. Well, we'll definitely have to check those those out then. Yeah. Um, oh, um, and F your beauty standards. Um, Jamila, Jamila Official, I think is her account. Those people are doing great things too in just the sphere of anti-diet culture and, and raising awareness. Yeah. Um, thank you so much, Dana, for your time. And um, just to finish up, um, you know, people who have loved listening to you today, where should they go to find out to if they're interested in working with you or if they're in America coming to a workshop of yours? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so you can find me. I'm, everything is at Dana Sukow. My website is danasukow.com. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Dana Sukow. My email is Dana at Dana Sukow. I mean, it's it's. I, and I check everything. So really just whatever platform works for you, reach out. Um, yeah. And, and again, I, I had such a wonderful time speaking with you. I wanted to apologize if there was any moments I had like a brain fart. I am this, I'm, I'm powering through this cold and I think I really, I think I did okay. But you know, when you, when you think back, when you're like, did I, did I miss a point there? Or was that a five second or a five minute pause? So I, I apologize in advance or, you know. No, not at all. We've all, this is, this is um, what we've been doing. We're all perfectly imperfect and Skype <laughs> definitely has a way of revealing that to us. Oh it? my gosh. I know. I know. Um, no, but I had, a, I had such a wonderful time talking with you and um, I'm very jealous of your warm weather. So that was Dana Sukow. You can find links to Dana's website and everything that we talked about in the show notes. Thank you for listening to episode three of the Future Feminist podcast. I'll be back on Wednesday, the 27th of February, 2019 with another episode. Until then, if you're in Melbourne, Australia and interested in attending the inaugural Future Feminist Kids Club on Saturday, the 9th of March, then click on the link in the show notes. The special early bird ticket price ends on February the 20th. I look forward to seeing you there.